Welcome, everybody, to the 35th episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dominic Chapone, uh, joined again by a returning guest. This is your third or fourth appearance, I believe, Aiden. So uh, welcome back to the pod. Thanks. It's good to be back. All right. Well, obviously, it has been uh, a crazy uh, bit since the last time I've seen you on the pod. Uh, I think it was about like a month and a half or so, so way before the NBA playoffs. Uh, we were kind of like winding down the regular season, and just like that, we're in the midst of it. Uh, the last time I did a pod, Milwaukee loses both games one and two. Phoenix looks pretty good on the court. Uh, but now, the uh, in just a week, that's changed. It's now a tied series, and Milwaukee looked pretty dominant in both games three and four. Yeah, absolutely. Milwaukee looked like a completely different team coming into games three and four. Um, Giannis definitely stepped up as he does in game three, but it was very much a team win when it came to game four between Middleton and Giannis together, uh, totaling 66 points. Uh, It was absolutely uh, great team wins, and it looks like morale is going to be very up for your Milwaukee. What were your thoughts on Giannis' performance? Because obviously, you know, Total difference between game one and then the rest of the series. Obviously, there were questions about that knee injury he suffered. Um, but looking definitely a lot better now, especially with how Phoenix just can't stop the guy, especially in these last couple games. Even in game one, I thought this guy looks super healthy coming off that injury. And going into game, the rest of the games, two, three, and four, he looked even more healthy. And I thought it was – I he came off this injury really well. Um so I think that's that's exactly what Milwaukee needed for this final series. Um, I think when it comes to uh, the defense in Phoenix trying to stop Giannis, there aren't many people in the league in general that have the 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 size, the strength, and the quickness to stop Giannis. He's a specimen when it comes to his athletic ability, and there's not many people who have that. So he can just run down uh, Phoenix defense. Yeah, you bring up a couple excellent points there. First off, he's just dominant as all hell. I mean, he's the only person to put up 40 and 10 games in back-to-back finals games since Shaq. So we're talking about, you know, one of those types of dominant performances. The stats he's putting up in general, if you include assists and a couple other things, are up there with, like, LeBron, uh, Shaq, obviously, Jerry West, like, Havlicek, like, some of these, like, you know – Legends, like we're talking like top 20 level guys here. And then you hinted at it right now. The biggest problem I've had with Phoenix, their one weakness arguably is that they don't have that Giannis stop. Right? I mean, nobody does quite frankly, but outside of Aiden, all of their wings are either too small or too thin and they don't have any backup bigs. They have, you know, Frank Kaminsky. They've got that rookie on the bench. You haven't played yet. Dario starts. It wasn't even a guy and he's out now. So they don't really have that you know, foul eater guy. Like if they had like, you know, a Robin Lopez or a Dwayne Dedman, I don't know, some 15 minute, a guy big who can, you know, foul Giannis a ton, just get in his own head. Because the one thing I've noticed with Giannis is that he's shooting so well from the rim. Uh, they've even released a stat that he's, you know, 78% rim on dunks and layups the last couple of games, which is absolutely insane. Cause the average is like 30% to 20% below that. So uh, do, what do you think Phoenix can do to stop him, if at all? Or is it just more of like a, you got to foul him more, get in his head, get more aggressive? Because Giannis, uh, it, earlier in this postseason, Giannis right now looks like totally two different NBA players. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the scheme that, that Phoenix is running is very hard to manage with Giannis. Because a lot of the time you're seeing um, switches between um, Giannis being guarded by uh Aiden versus Cam Johnson versus even Devin Booker because of the offensive scheme that Milwaukee's running. You see these switches mid play 
that just leave Giannis in a perfect mismatch. That's exactly what they're looking for. So I think they got to be very much careful with who they have switching on to Giannis in these situations on defense. You don't want Devin Booker guarding Giannis. You just you just don't. The size and comparison, it just doesn't work. You want to stick to the two guys of DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, uh, whoever's on the court at, this, at the time um, in that stint. Um, you got to stick to the two bigger guys, whoever they may be, because you're going to have at least two bigger guys that can at least stand a chance. So you got to be careful with the switches on, on that defensive front. Um, that's what I'm seeing most importantly. I'm seeing a lot of mismatches of Giannis being guarded by Devin Booker, and it just it just doesn't make sense. Um, so I think that uh, just be careful with the switching on the defense, stick to a tighter man defense, and it might go better. Yeah, I mean, you bring up the problem with Devin Booker. It's that he's also the only guy who can, as of now, shoot on Phoenix's team, at least like in terms of creating his own shot, you know, facilitating other people because cp3 has been struggling all of their other guys are more you know spot shooters mikhail bridges and like you know small doses can do that and we saw it in game four with the foul trouble where when booker's in foul trouble phoenix's offense is at a standstill and it's all the momentum milwaukee needs i think the more important thing that hasn't been talked about is like why hasn't phoenix helped off pj tucker more because he's basically a non-shooter on the court right now you're willing to let him shoot seven threes a night because he's not going to make more than two why is phoenix not Get, helping more off P.J. Tucker in Giannis situations and making him do more on offense? Because they haven't really explored that yet, at least what I've seen so far. I agree with you on that one. I mean, look, you're, P.J. Tucker's the guy to stop and the, the guy to leave open in that starting lineup compared to other guys like the other four starters, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. Like, they're all threats from different areas of the court. P.J. Tucker just likes to sit in the corner and try and shoot threes, and he, when he only makes, like, thir- like, I don't even know, like, 20-some percent. Yeah, and he's only taken six shots the last two games, keep in mind. So it's not even like he's, like, you know, it's the last two games, six shots. Like, that's crazy. Exactly. So why not try and double Giannis in a way to make it work so that P.J. Tucker can be just a little bit open and cool? He's not much of a threat on the offensive side of the ball. So just... You know, leave him a little open and try and double Giannis. I think the other thing that has to be factored in, too, regarding Phoenix's defense is that uh, Milwaukee's doing a really good job with Chris Middleton, like, offensive sets. They're trying to get him, like, you know, in screen and roll with Giannis. So you saw in game four, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, Giannis and Chris Middleton. Get the switch, put Devin Booker on Middleton, Middleton isolation, his mid-range jump, you know, the, the classic 18-footer fadeaway that he loves to go to, off a screen from, you know, Holiday or whatever. Milwaukee really has learned, and I give credit to this, I'm not the huge Coach Bud fan, but they really have taken advantage of Phoenix's weakness, which is Devin Booker. He's the one guy you can exploit on defense, and they're really saying, they're really running that lineup well. They're putting all their shooters out there. They don't even have Lopez out there. They're going Giannis at the five, basically saying, we'll let Aiden do whatever, but if we have a stretched and off, uh, offensively oriented lineup out here that can space the floor and give room for Giannis... Phoenix can double team, or they have to. They only have one shoot, non-shooter on the court, and it kind of has helped Milwaukee ride, ride this wave of momentum. Even though Drew Holiday hasn't been, you know, the greatest of a third wheel on this team so far. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you one hundred percent. Chris Middleton is a special talent who can shoot very well, but also has the size to be able to um, exploit some defense. 
you know, he plays shooting guard, small forward, whatever you want to throw him at. But there aren't many guys at his size at his position. So you look at the defensive schemes on opposing teams, especially Phoenix, who's he's guarded by Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, whoever. He can just shoot over these guys. It's like um, it makes life a lot easier when you're that tall and you're that you have that size in a Chris Middleton style player because you don't have to worry as much about the defense. The other thing I've noticed too, and that Milwaukee's really taken advantage of this the last two games, their size and their versatility is now coming in clutch when it comes to stalling Phoenix's offense. The last two games, Phoenix has shot terrible from three, not only just in like attempts, but also in volume. Like Phoenix's shots are way more difficult now than they were in game one, for sure. Especially with, you look at a guy like CP3, his points have gone down every single game. Game four, he was a no-show. Game three, he was like decent, but not like overwhelming. And then other guys, they got in Aiden's head. He's not taking those little mid-rangers anymore. He's kind of, you know, like, uh, he, I don't know, he just seems a bit lost out there. Devin Booker, one night he drops 10 points. The next night he drops, you know, 40-something. Phoenix's offense really is struggling right now. And they're really relying on these, you know, role players to just get hot. Because they can't afford one of them to go down. We saw in game three, Jay Crowder goes six or seven from three. No one else can shoot from outside of the arc. In game four, it's the opposite. Jay Crowder was a no-show from three. He goes like three for nine. And the rest of Phoenix's team still doesn't make any threes. So it's that, that dynamic where I think Phoenix is starting to kind of lose itself a bit on offense here. Right. I agree with you. I also think that, look, we, know, we knew this coming in. Phoenix is a young team. Young teams in the NBA Finals don't always do the greatest because they don't have the experience. Like, this is Devin Booker's first playoff run, right? Like, he went to the bubble last year, but that's not, like, you know, what a playoff run looks like. Well, this is same with Michael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, etc. It's a young team. They don't have the playoff experience, and then they make it all the way to the Finals. Like, cool. That's awesome. However, Giannis has had however many playoff series is under his belt. Um, Chris Middleton is at the same amount. Uh, Drew Holiday's had plenty. Brooke Lopez has had a, like, a good amount. Um, P.J. Tucker's had plenty. Like, we're looking at a team that has a lot more experience in these playoffs and know how to like compose themselves as a team, whereas Phoenix isn't absolutely sure what they're doing yet because they're so young with so little experience. I've said that many times um for every like finals like this um including last year's miami heat uh and that i thought it was the same so i think uh that also plays a factor into how phoenix is playing right now compared to milwaukee and absolutely i think if you're phoenix you haven't had your wake-up moment yet if that makes sense like throughout the playoffs they've kind of coasted you know they got a lakers team that was kind of not healthy the nuggets they swept the Clippers, they were good, but they also didn't have Kawhi. So, I mean, they haven't they haven't faced a team like Milwaukee yet where everybody's healthy. They have a closing five. They know there's six or seven guys. No changing rotations. You, It's the same people every time. And I think this might have been their wake-up call. Game four, a winnable game on the road. You're shooting terribly. Drew Holiday goes 4 of 20 from the field. Pat Connaughton is playing 30 minutes in a finals game. I don't think he should be playing 30 minutes in a finals game. All of their bench guys are non-existent. P.J. Tucker takes one damn shot and doesn't even play 30 minutes, and you still lose the game. Like, that that was their wake-up call right there. And it showed in the locker room. There's, like, that video of Monty Williams, you know, saying that this is all their loss. 17 turnovers, missing open shots, getting careless toward the end. 
it really, I think this is like Phoenix's, you, I, I don't know if you agree with me here, like their, their rise up moment where like this was like their, hey, like we need to get our crap together and like really uh, get back in the series. Oh, I agree with you on that. I think Monty Williams is a great coach and he showed them that, that this, he, he made it very clear that, look, this has to be your wake up moment or else we're not going to win this series. Um, and I'm curious as to whether it, it translates into their game. Um, into like I have Phoenix winning game five but I'm not sure about the rest of the series right now but I think that you're right like yeah the Milwaukee their bench players aren't absolutely there um they have Bobby Portis who's been shooting all right so far in this series how about about zombie Uh, Jeff Teague (laughs) zombie Jeff yes oh my lord (laughs) Uh, so they they don't have this depth right now. Um, and you're right, PJ Tucker barely shoots a game, barely plays 30 minutes. Uh, Pat Connaughton's playing 30 minutes in a playoff game, and it's literally Pat Connaughton. The only reason he's there is because he's from Milwaukee or from Wisconsin area. And, like, you still lose the game, and you're you're the Phoenix Suns. And you, just, you say that, and you're like, whoa, the Phoenix Suns are, like, this team, you know? Like, this full-stacked, like, roster. And this this should be their wake up moment. I hope it is, because um, I want to see a good series. But um, you know, I'm very I'm very very curious on if it will be or not. I don't know with this young team. I think the other thing you have to keep in mind if you're Phoenix here is that so the way this works is that games five and six each in between each one is a three day rest. But after right. that, game seven is a two day rest. If you're Phoenix, your way to win this is to win this in six games. I know everyone wants to win this in six games, but your ideal goal is to blow out Milwaukee in game five, rest up, and then squeak by a win in game six. You, as dumb as it sounds, you're gonna, despite having home court, I don't think you want to make this series longer than it has to be because we're already seeing the effects of it. Their guys are getting tired. Chris Paul doesn't look like himself compared to earlier in the playoffs, especially he just looks slow. When he's raking up, you know, 35 to 40 minutes a night. Devin Booker can't be playing 40-something minutes a night for as young as he is. Like, the minutes are starting to get to them. I think Milwaukee, despite having, you know, more veteranish guys, also just has guys who are in the middle of their prime and who can play 45 minutes a night and get away with it. Especially a guy like Giannis, who's just a superhuman. For as much as I hate Drew Holiday's offense, you know, he is an athlete and can play 43 minutes a night and clamp anybody. And I think the one, the, the key from this series, which is the most minimalist thing, but I love how they're defending CP three. Like, have you noticed that like when CP three, like brings the ball, they put Drew Holiday fully full court press him. I feel like every time they do that, it kind of just annoys the hell out of CP three. Cause he's, he's like dribbling extra than he needs to be. And it's just, they're trying to wear him out and take him out of the series. They're kind of taking the, uh, the snake, uh, they're biting the snakes head off from the rest of the body here. Yeah, I think they're just trying to fatigue CP3, which CP3 is their morale guy as of right now because he's the guy that's been to the playoffs before. He's the guy that knows what he's doing in these playoff situations. So when Milwaukee just takes him full court whenever he brings the ball up, they're fatiguing a 36-year-old Chris Paul who like, has never made it this far in the playoffs in his career. He's never been... like. It's not his prime anymore. If this was his prime, cool, he could, he could play 40, 45 minutes a game. Well, that's a little excessive, but still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he's not his prime anymore. He's 36 years old. He's been on five NBA teams. Like, he's just not where he was. 
So Milwaukee's taking advantage of that. And Chris Paul is taking up the ball. They're going to fatigue him every time before he can get cross half court. So we can't play as many minutes, bite the head off, like you said. And the morale just goes down because Chris Paul's not on the court. Well, and as you bring it up, uh, it's not only that he's played on five different franchises, but this is a repeated pattern yet again of him either slowing down or being unavailable in playoff series as they go on. I mean, notable ones, 2015 with that hamstring injury against, you know, both the Spurs and the Rockets, 2018 or 2017 against the Jazz, he was basically unavailable, I think, Uh, 2018 against the Rockets or with the Rockets where he was, you know, down for the count by the conference finals. Uh, And then even in this postseason, he's not even that he's played the minutes, but he just doesn't look the same. He's got that hand problem because he keeps holding his left hand every, you know, five minutes. And he he doesn't have that burst of speed compared to game one that I saw from him. And it's been – they really do need him to step up because if Devin Booker is getting triple teamed out here and their shooters aren't scoring, at some point they need to say, hey, Chris Paul, we need you to kind of, you know, take over the offense here. And I think the one thing for Phoenix that I've noticed that they're really struggling with, and I kind of hinted at it earlier – it's outside or offensive creation outside of Devin Booker. With Chris Paul struggling, campaign had one good game against the Clippers in game two, like, you know, a millennium ago, and has struggled ever since then. He can't even shoot 35% from the field. All their other guys are jump shooters and nothing more. And now it's like, who's going to be the guy who can dribble and give Phoenix a shot to score? And I think that's a big problem, and that'll definitely be a center of attention for the rest of the series. The problem is I think that guy is going to be down low with DeAndre Ayton who can make post moves and stuff but not really dribble and shoot outside of that right now. Um, That's going to be very interesting to see because I don't see – they're all spot shooters. Everyone on that team besides Devin Booker, Chris Paul, they're spot shooters. So – and if Devin Booker doesn't show up and CP3 is tired and on the bench, like what are you looking for? Who's, who's facilitating, for one, and who can create their own shot. So, like you were saying, so I think it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what can happen if Devin Booker and Chris Paul are just out for the count. Aiden's also the big piece in this thing. We haven't even talked about him much, but I, I hinted at it again earlier where he lacks his confidence compared to earlier on in the playoffs. Like, I don't know. I think Milwaukee – I'm not going to say they got into his head because I don't think – I don't think that – it's really how that works, but I do think Milwaukee being physical with him, making him uncomfortable on the low block. I mean, I saw early on in game three and four, they tried to get him touches early on, and it was like good at best. I don't think nothing crazy, but it's just hard with Aiden because they're really being aggressive with him, especially on crashing the glass and, you know, forcing him off his like comfortable zones. He's, he's not really getting those turnaround jumpers and mid-rangers he likes. He's kind of, you know, being forced to take these tough shots over longer defenders. And he's kind of an X-factor for Phoenix because he's their one big guy who can be a big down low, as like dumb as that sounds. For as much of this is a perimeter-oriented series, Phoenix is getting killed down low in the paint in terms of offensive rebounds, points in the paint, uh, uh, being able to draw fouls at the free throw line. I mean, hell, like Milwaukee got an extra 10 free throws compared to last game, and that was, those 10 free throws are the reason why they won the game in the first place. So, I mean, right. it, it does matter. Right, and let's look at the series before this series on DeAndre Ayton being guarded by Andre Drummond in the first series, Lakers series. Ayton can like, but, create. He, but Andre Drummond's an all-star though. You don't remember that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to get paid like one. Just let him. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, he is, so you see the mismatch there with an old Drummond, right? Like 
there's size involved, but Aiden knows how to move around and uh, create his own shot against an older Drummond who, who, cool, you're a block champ back in the day, but you're old. Like, you're older compared to Aiden who can move around. Uh, next series, uh, Nuggets go against Jokic. Aiden Jokic of a battle, like, the whole series. Um, Aiden can work it down low compared to Jokic, where Jokic tries to, like, can guard the more of the mid-range. So Aiden has somewhat of an advantage according to the series because they won the series. Cool. Clippers series. Uh, guarded by uh, Zubach, right? Yeah, it was Zubach and all these randos, yeah. Exactly. Where Aiden still has a size advantage on like all these Clippers guys. Like, there's just... He hasn't had a series where he's had like someone who could be a problem on defense with him for long for a long period of time. Drummond's not going to be, like, an issue for a long time. Marcus Saul is not going to be an issue for a long time like he was in the Lakers. They're old. They, like, they rest up. Um, they have the, – the Bucks have this Aiden stopper. They actually have multiple. And Giannis for one if he wants to. And um, Brooke Lopez, who he may be old like Drummond, he's, but – he still seems to have that athletic ability down low to be able to protect the paint um, that Drummond doesn't seem to have anymore, um, which is very interesting. So the Bucks have, like, some sort of eight and stopper, and I think that's, like, a confidence, like, depleter when it comes to DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, for sure. Now, to be fair, and this is I want to make the case for Phoenix here because I feel like we've spent, you know, a lot of time talking about pro-Milwaukee and then anti-Phoenix points here. I mean, if you're Phoenix, though, I think you're still in good hopes. You've got a chance to win two out of the next three games, all, both two of which are at home. And they're, they play so much better on, at home, especially the role guys. They're at that, you know, four through. I think Aiden plays better at home, and I think all their role players play a lot better uh, when they're in their home crowd in Death Valley, which is a good one. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I agree. Chris Paul getting the rest, these playing one game every three days type of things really gives him that extra day to help him out. It helped Giannis out. It helped Booker kind of have a bounce back in this game uh, after he rested up a bit. So, I mean, it is going to help, which is nice. And I think if you're, you're Phoenix, you're not out of hope yet because, again, I still think Milwaukee is lacking that fifth guy. I think Phoenix has a legit five-man unit. I really think Milwaukee is teetering on that. I mean, if you look at their lineup from game four, Brooke Lopez plays 19 minutes and is out right. the rest of the game. Pat Connaughton's playing 32, but I'm not shooting for the stars here with Pat Connaughton. I don't think he's going to play well at a home crowd compared to a road crowd. He's, he's the ultimate, like, if he plays in the road, he might, you know, take a crap every time he shoots. Right. And, even, and again, P.J. Tucker, 29 minutes, takes one shot at, at home. There is a universe out there in which Milwaukee might not have five guys to play on the court, and Phoenix might be able to win that way if they can get their stuff together. I think that's that's a legit possibility and something that uh, Phoenix should look to exploit. Look, and shout out Phoenix. They they keep firing in one and two. And, like, we know this. I think with the days of rest is a good, huge thing for Chris Paul to have. I think Devin Booker is like, oh, my God, it's 2-2. I need to step it up. And he's going to come out firing in game five. Um and I, I have hope. There's still hope for Phoenix, you know? It's basically 0-0, zero, zero, best of three. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, just keep that mentality and just, and just keep going. Both those teams can keep that mentality. It's 0-0 zero, zero now. Um, so just ride the wave for uh, of a 0-0 zero, zero start. 
I think the other thing you have to look at if you're Phoenix too, which is also super, I guess, noticeable, and it definitely helps their case, is that they've also, I think they have, they still have the coaching advantages, which I think, I think helps a lot. I still think that they have a better team compared to Milwaukee outside of Giannis, and I think you have to be okay with like. I think there was going to be at some point you weren't – it wasn't going to be a, 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 a coasting to this NBA Finals, like to the championship. I think they needed this wake-up call. And they're getting it here, and especially with this Game 5 coming up because this is going to be an all-time game right here. Like I have a feeling that Phoenix is going to come out running and gunning. Milwaukee's going to still be in the game somehow. But this might be one of the better playoff games probably at least uh, in the last you know 10 or 15 years just because of the stakes for this series, especially when you consider – if Milwaukee wins this game, they always say the famous playoff saying uh, a finals or what is it? A playoff series doesn't start until a team wins on the road. That's going to definitely manifest itself in one way or another tonight, whether it be Milwaukee looking to steal one or Phoenix coming out hungry and, you know, basically grabbing this win away from Milwaukee. If that saying's true, shout out that Mavs Clippers series for starting in game seven. <laughs> yeah, right. That's funny. But no, I think there's, I think, um, I think whoever wins game five, I really think whoever wins game five, let it be Phoenix or Milwaukee, goes on to win the title. I would agree there too. I think that's what a lot of the numbers show more likely than not. If a team wins game five, now if you're in another team, you have to win two in a row against a very good opponent regardless of who you're facing. That's a tough thing to do. And one of them's on the road for you if you have to win two in a row. Yeah. I'd also like to point out, I think if you're Phoenix too, there's a good outlook here because that was a winnable game. You caught Milwaukee at home, riding momentum from Game Three, and they still almost won the game. Right. Like I think you have, if you're Phoenix, you have to be very impressed with that because it's like, hey, if we only have ten turnovers instead of seventeen, or even thirteen instead of seventeen, this is a different game. I mean, Phoenix was up the whole game by the slimmest of margins, and then Chris Middleton caught heat, and they kind of had a couple of dumb turnovers by the end, and that was it. But Phoenix was winning this game the whole time. I don't think if you're Phoenix, you're necessarily panicking yet either. I mean, I still think they have a chance here to win this series in probably in comfortable fashion, maybe six games as a lot of people are trying to point out. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to spend much more time on the finals again. We got game, I think, what is it? Game six is out tomorrow. Uh, or yep. game five, sorry. Uh, game, one, game five is tomorrow. Yeah, and then we have the rest of the series that plays out later. So obviously we'll check those out. Uh, big games indeed. We can move on to some off-season news. The first of which I haven't covered yet on this pod, but Kawhi Leonard's uh, partial ACL injury or whatever it is because I'm still confused as to what's going on with that. Um, I mean, obviously we found out about this. Was it during the the Sun series, right? Or was it the Clip or the Maverick series? It was the semifinals. Um, it was the semifinals, right? Or conference finals? I believe it was the conference finals. What, he, what were know, we, found, we found out about it in the semifinals because he didn't play the conference finals. Exactly. Okay. So what, what were your thoughts about that during the conference finals? Cause I my there was a lot of things that were red flags. They never released an injury report at the time. He wasn't sitting on the bench. If you notice in all of those games, they kind of had him in the rafters, you know, in the VIP section, no leg to be seen. First off, what are your thoughts on the injury itself? It's a partial ACL tear probably out a good amount of this next season unless the Clippers make a deep playoff run. So what are your thoughts just in general for his sake and as well as for the team? Well, because they're going back to a regular NBA schedule with the season starting in October, um, like the end of October, like they do normally, I think Kawhi Leonard could miss a, a pretty decent chunk of this next season. Um, I think he can come back in say January uh, with the, with the ring of the new year. But 
that's really hard for the Clippers to come back from if Paul George can't carry them uh, through uh, the first two months of the season. So I think it's tough for a Clippers franchise to just and Clippers team to just try and figure that all out without their star guy uh, for two months of the season. Um, and plus, aren't Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's contracts up? So I, yeah, you bring up an excellent point right now. I want to focus first on the Kawhi Leonard perspective because offseason-wise, he has a player option coming up for like 36 or $39 million. Now, he can opt out of it and secure that $5 million mega max because he's played the eight years, blah, 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 all the incentives. He can do that. He can opt in and then sign a four-year deal, I believe, the next season. And that's one, this is one of those things where I don't know what you do if you're Kawhi because on the one hand – Kevin Durant blows out his Achilles and, you know, has one leg and he still gets paid almost the max. Yep. Um, on the other hand, though, Kawhi's also had a series of injuries and maybe he wants to secure the bag already. I don't know what you do if you're Kawhi. The other thing that I, I have always said this, and I think this is a crucial thing that people keep forgetting. But Aiden, you bring up an excellent point. The NBA season is returned to a normal schedule for this upcoming season. So anybody that gets injured during this 2020-2021 season loses a lot of time the following year. Jamal Murray won't right. be back until midway through the 2022 season, if at all. Kawhi now won't be back at all. Uh, any guy suffering those types of injuries is probably not going to be back until the latter half, if at all, of the next season. And it's really that I, – I'd argue that this is more of a consequence than the previous – that bubble season because now we're seeing how this is affecting more seasons in the future than we really thought. Yeah, exactly. Shout out LeBron for saying it was a bad idea. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, we're seeing a lot of consequence when it comes to refiguring and putting back the schedule to pre-COVID. Um, two shortened off seasons in a row. Like, geez, that is not good for player de- uh, development and player uh, training and the keeping people healthy. Like, people get injured and they're going to miss out on so much time. Like, I almost feel like the Kawhi Leonard should opt in to this contract because at least he knows he's making guaranteed money. Um, just because he's not going to play all next year, so he might go unsigned until he's, you know, back in like and healthy enough to be signed. Who knows? I'm not entirely sure because, in my opinion, Kawhi Leonard is just very much a an issue on in like the locker room side of basketball. Look, you can play very good basketball. You're Kawhi Leonard, for God's sake. But you're a guy who's been injured a lot, right? You're getting up in age. It's very, um, You're very much a great player with a lot of issues, which we've heard of this before, right? This has happened in... What, Kawhi's had a, a freak injury, and we don't know how they, te- they take it well with the team? <laughs> oh my Lord, exactly. It happened... <laughs> History is repeating itself, but like, it's very difficult to try and see how to handle Kawhi right now when it comes to the shortened offseason, how much he's going to miss of next season, and if he opts into his player option. Because if he doesn't, he'll go and try and get a max contract deal with the Clippers, whoever it may be. I know he wants to do with the Clippers. I don't understand why, but that's besides the point. Um, so I just think it's just a very tough situation for every party involved in this situation. You have a partial ACL tear, so it's not going to be like uh, like as as long of an injury as like a full ACL tear. 
You know, there's not as long of a recovery. So he may be back a little bit earlier compared to a Jamal Murray. But um, we'll see what happens with this situation. The other thing you have to keep in mind, we can tie this as to what you're hinting at. It's the franchise perspective of this. I think after – I think going into the postseason, there was a thought if the Clippers flamed out, let's say, in the conference semifinals, you know, they get blown out by whoever. Like, let's say – I don't know, whoever they played. Would they trade Paul George? Because at that point, if it's been two years and the, the, the Kawhi PG dynamic isn't working, you trade Paul George – Max value, get him while he's an all-NBA second-teamer consistently. Trade him for God knows what, whether it's a boatload of picks, another superstar. Maybe you get Damian Lillard for Paul George, whatever the hell it may be. Now that Kawhi is injured, you have changed that dynamic. You are not trading Paul George because you need to still be competitive. You are no longer in this mindset of doing a, building a team around Kawhi and PG. You're waiting a third year now. So now we're in year three of this PG-Kawhi experiment, and we've yielded – What's going to be no titles. They will have no championships after three years. What do you do if you're the Clippers now? Because do you still have to trade Paul George maybe and try to max his value and then just say this is a lost year? Because I don't know if it's worth it to pay all these guys that they're owing, like Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Batum, for you know, millions of dollars for them to be a seventh seed in the West. I don't know if that's feasible for at least like this particular year. Look, I think – in my opinion, that they're not going to trade Paul George. We know that right now. Yeah. However, he's going to be a free agent, I believe. Um, or does he have a player option? It's the same. I think it's the same contract as Kawhi. It's, I think it's the same. They're both free agents the same year, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so player option, basically. Yeah. Um, so I bet you Paul George opts into his player option to, to basically be that guy in, in the Clippers organization. Um, but all these other guys... Reggie Jackson, Nick Batum, whoever it may be, like you said, like they don't want to pay all these guys. Um, they're both getting on in age compared to other guys. Um, you may want to try and rebuild your role players, like like try and buy cheap some better role players, you know, just so you have the money for later. And then you see how they do, right? That's kind of important because you kind of want to see how good Paul George does on his own. Paul George hasn't really been on his own since Indy. And he, yeah. And he didn't make it that far in Indy. So, like, we have, we have to see what happens with this Paul George situation without Kawhi um, before making a final decision. I don't think it should be a wash year. Um, I don't think so either. I really don't, no. I don't think it should be. I think they should buy some cheap role players who can uh, coordinate with Paul George's game, right? Like, I think that should be the way to go like you don't want to pay Reggie Jackson a mad amount of money if you can get uh, someone else for cheaper well, well they do have 16 million dollars in Luke Kennard ready to go so they'll be ready to uh, utilize him for, uh, for the Kawhi minutes right <laughs> oh great <laughs> so, so comparable uh, so the franchise is looking to be a little interesting this year to say the least I agree with you there, especially on the front of I don't think it's a wash year. Because we've seen this before, even in the first Kawhi PG season, where Kawhi, can't, Kawhi is going to even play all of the regular season games anyway. So you're kind of already building a team basically with a half of Kawhi, now just with no Kawhi. I, think, I also think that as you bring out a, a key point here, Paul George, the supporting cast in LA right now with the Clippers is so much better than the supporting cast with the Pacers when he was okay. by himself. So if you're Paul George, I think the Clippers can be a sixth seed. I think it's safe to say that if everything, if they're healthy, if PG plays that he did playoff level, even a tier below, 
I still think there'll be a six or seven seed. I don't think there's too much concern there because ideally this could be a scenario where you make the playoffs, Kawhi comes back, and then boom, you're you're back in it. The flip right. side though is that do you what's the way in which you construct that team? Are you doing as you point out, signing cheap guys? Are you bringing back the core that's already there? Like, do you want to pay Reggie Jackson, you know, $20 million a year uh, for the next couple of years? Because I don't. As much as he had a hot hand and, you know, it was good. I don't know if how much money Batum's going to get because I think Batum only fits on the Clippers. And we're seeing it where I, I wouldn't be surprised if some team with – like, what if the Knicks give him, you know, $15 million for one year, like a balloon contract? He's going to take that because I think he it's, it's, he's maximizing on his money and the good year he had. I don't know what they do. And there's obviously the issue. They have no draft picks because of the Paul George and Kawhi uh, finagling. They don't really have a premium asset to get to make money back to sign guys. They need to offload contracts, which they don't have the assets to attach to those. So there's no way to get off of Luke Kennard, no way to get off Marcus Morris, none of those guys. And then, of course, it it is just a tricky situation here because – I feel like it's going to be bad either way. Like, I feel like the Clippers will be worse next season uh, anyway, like regardless of what they do uh, in this coming offseason. They'll be worse no matter what they do. But I do think if they call it a wash here, it just loses a lot of morale for those for those guys who are still there and under contract um, in the case that they don't feel like the team is confident enough to try and push for a good run with the guys they have without Kawhi. You know what I mean? So that just causes a rift in the organizational level in itself with the players. So I don't think they call it a wash year, and I think they still keep trying to push for a playoff run. Yeah, and knowing Steve Ballmer and you know Ty Lue, they're not going to sit around and you know go twenty and fifty two or whatever it is. Like they're not going right. to go. They're not going to tank that season. No, not even close. I couldn't agree more. I think the other thing that people need to factor in, too, is that with the Western Conference, it's going to be so much better than it was this season, even though it was already great because the Warriors are going to come back and be 100% healthy. The Lakers will be at 115%. Denver will be a new breed in itself compared, and they're going to be better. Um, all of the – even like frisky teams, like I think the Timberwolves and the Pelicans and some of these you know outsider teams, they're going to be competitive at the very least compared to uh, being in the bottom feeder category. So – it is a tricky situation if you're Los Angeles, and I want to see how that plays out. I want to move on to our next topic here, and I want to focus on your team for a bit. Uh, I had Ryan on about a couple weeks ago talking about his Celtics, and obviously the offseason is coming up soon. I have a boatload of episodes coming out after this finals. But the big one's obviously Philly. I think they're a big team that has a lot of questions this offseason. We recorded our first pod together, and the first part of this show all the way back in February, penciling them in as contenders, even thinking of some traits to make them even better, and... We saw a lot of weaknesses in this postseason with that team, and now there's the Ben Simmons, you know, roller coaster that we're gonna have for the next, you know, two or three months. You know, this this situation sucks as a Sixer fan. Uh, we did talk in February about like I thought, whoa, this team could make the conference finals. This team could go on to make the finals. Um, I was really confident in Ben Simmons at this point in time, and just wow, this hurt a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, it was not great. It wasn't what anyone was looking for. And now Ben Simmons is on the trade block uh, for God knows how long it'll be. Uh, the rumblings right now with Ben Simmons are very interesting. I'm hearing a lot about Portland. I'm hearing a lot about Minnesota. Um, so I'm interested to see how much one we can get for Ben Simmons and what offers can really come up that people want Ben Simmons or what teams actually want a Ben Simmons guy. 
What are your thoughts on this Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum thing? Because can I? I want to go on the record right now. I think it's a terrible idea. You know, get, wait, just terrible give, idea for who? <laughs> for Philly, give the case for why you're going to trade Ben Simmons now instead of just waiting till closer to the trade deadline. Because, you know, because go ahead. I, I I just think the logic is that. Everybody in their mind has this negative perception of Philly right now, especially with Ben Simmons. How the last thing they think on their mind is him, you know, underneath the basket passing on that layup. All the teams that are looking to trade him or want to trade for him are just going to give him give them young players and draft picks, which Philly cannot use unless it's a three-team trade to acquire another guy. The, I, I'm more interested in can you trade Ben Simmons for assets to, say, Oklahoma City and then use those assets to get Damian Lillard. I mean, and that's just, and that's just one idea I cooked in my head. It could be Bradley Beal. It could be another guy. I don't know. I don't think CJ McCollum could be the second best guy on a title team. He wasn't in Portland. I don't know why he's going to be in Philly. Ben Simmons, for as much of a of a negative perception he has now, he was a a case to be an All NBA guy. He's like a fifteen nine and nine with All NBA defense. I don't know why you're just all of a sudden going to just say let's get rid of him now before the season starts when he could rebuild his trade value. You can get more for him. And you could still figure out something along the way. Like maybe he does get better this offseason. Or I, I just don't think if you're Philly, you don't, you, you don't push the panic button just yet. At least if I were in them. I don't know about you. I think the reason they're doing it now is because Daryl Morey is head of operations right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's because it's Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has always been an aggressive guy who wants to make really big moves fast. Very fast. He's always been that guy. So in my opinion... I think we should wait at least a little bit for him to show some of his off-season workouts and like see how well he's doing in those off-season workouts um, at the at the very least, you know, um, just to show that he's actually doing something, and then try and make some moves to show that oh Ben Simmons may actually have some more value at the least when he, you see these clips in all the off-season like like you do. Um, so I find it I, – I don't entirely hate the CJ trade because he may not be the second best guy on a on a title contender team. But keep in mind, we do have Tobias Harris that people are forgetting. Him, um, what, him is $40 million contract? <laughs> well, we don't talk about that. But like, <laughs> um, we still have like a – we still have a good three-headed like dragon of Joel, Toby, and CJ if, we, if it does come to that. Um, and don't forget Seth Curry, Matisse Dybul, Tyrese Maxey. Um, uh, I pray to God Danny Green leaves. Um, uh, besides, so it's just, you know, I don't find it terrible. And I think Portland could use a, a guy who can dribble under, under the, uh, under the basket and in the paint who can make easy dish outs to keep Dame Lillard open. So the trade that I have in mind right now that I've seen time and time again, I really like this one, Ben Simmons to Oklahoma City. You right. get back Kemba Walker and a bunch of picks. So the idea if you're OKC is that you have a franchise guy, reclamation project, on his own timeline, got blah, 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 you, you know the draw on that one, pair him with SGA, whatever. If you're Philly, you get a shot creator that they've, they've really never had outside of Jimmy Butler that one year. So they have a guy who can right. actually create offense – Relatively, we'll see how it goes playoff-wise. You get assets that you can use for another guy. Like, what if you trade, I don't know, the the 16th and 18th pick if it ends up being that for a, a, a key seventh man on your bench? I don't know. So, well, whatever the math, however it ends up. 
Right. I, I really like that if you're both teams there. I think the bottom line, though, if you're Phillies, I think I would just be careful proceeding with a trade at least until the draft. I really think that what you don't want to do is you don't want to have a situation where you're just getting a bunch of young guys – and now it's Joel Embiid and a bunch of players with their heads running around like their heads – or like a bunch of players running around like their heads have been chopped off. Because that's the other problem too is I think – I just had to ask this right now. Can you win a title with Embiid as your best player? I, I really don't think so. I, I think the injuries, the, the, the fatigue by the end of every playoff series where he's just exhausted and he needs a second guy to shoot for him and be a creator. I gotta, do you think he could be a best guy on a title team? I really think he could be a 1B – or two A, but not a one. I agree with that one hundred and ten percent. I I don't think he could be a one A. I don't I don't in my opinion I don't think he could be a one B. Um, I think he could be a two A. I really do. I I from what I've seen, I really don't think he could be a one of any kind. And, and it's not even like slandering him. Again, we talked. We've been. We we were on the case for him for MVP. You know, like months ago. But there's a difference between regular season and postseason. And this is now what the fourth year in a row where this Philly team disappoints because of. I mean, partly they faced a couple of good teams, yes, but they also weren't facing a murderer's row. Like remember in 2018, they faced the Celtics. Those Celtics team. That Celtics team wasn't good. That that team did not deserve to make it to the conference finals that year. Toronto wasn't a good team. You can argue Philly or Milwaukee should have been in the finals instead of Toronto, and Toronto made it. And yet again, the common denominator is Embiid slowing down by the end of the season. He these fluke injuries that they really make him, you know, eighty percent of himself. And then I also blame this back to Philly. I think the roster again not maximizing Joel Embiid. Why? Why are they make Tobias Harris cannot be your second banana? I'm saying this right now. I don't know what in the world. They were doing in trading all those assets for him and then paying him $40 million because they felt like they had to keep the asset. Why are they not focusing on getting more perimeter-oriented guys instead of, you know, signing Dwight Howard when they already have Ben Simmons in the roster and, you know, a couple other backup bigs? It's well, they, some- did, they did sign Seth Curry and Danny Green. So To be fair, yes, exactly. But again, like, these are marginal moves. I, they're still not enough. I think... I think I agree with you in the sense I think Ben Simmons, it has to happen. I think it really does. But I'm also on the, the side of or proceeding with caution here um, when it comes to that whole like realm of possibilities. Yeah, I think this team kind of scares me with the Joel Embiid injuries. And like it just reminds me a lot of, of Kawhi where you have half a Joel every year. And, and like we have half a Kawhi every year. And that's just not good for a like a title contending team um oh headline sorry but kevin love just left team usa what but, uh, <laughs> nice sorry good, no good breaking good breaking news that's not the first time that's happened on the pod so good stuff <laughs> came up on my phone uh, and we'll talk about them in just a little bit so we'll we'll, we'll pause that for now but we'll talk about that yeah but uh you know it's it's crazy so i don't see it see much happening with that so um yeah, let's just uh, let's just move on. Yeah, and I think to end off on a, a note here, it's not like we're hating on Joel Embiid or on the organization itself. I, I, Joel Embiid, trust me, has been a dominant player. I mean, like literally, I had him penciled as MVP for like you know the first two months and a half of the first, this regular season. I think the issue though is that it's just a reality, not a criticism. The reality is that Joel Embiid cannot play 40 minutes a night on a consistent basis in a playoff series. If they're facing in the conference finals Milwaukee, game five, on the road, or at home, 
Is Embiid playing 40 minutes? I don't think so. So I really think that that's a good way to summarize that for sure. Um, we can end off on one final note here really quick, about a minute. Uh, what are your thoughts on Team USA so far? Because uh, a couple underwhelming signs to start. Now they've got a Bradley Bill situation with COVID. Jeremy Grant's off the team because of COVID, or the protocols at least. Kevin Love, you just announced, is gone. Uh, what, what, have you been keeping up with Team USA? And if so, what have been some, uh, some scaring, uh, scary warning flags? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to keep up on, like, throughout the summer with the Olympics coming on. I love Olympic basketball because I love the, the FIBA rules. I love um, everything about it. So, you know, with these with these players just, like, leaving and having issues, the health protocols and stuff so they can't play, um, it leaves a lot of gaps. Look, we lost two exhibition games to Australia and Nigeria, which, <laughs> which cool, Australia has some uh, NBA-level talent. But I, I don't I, think Gabe Vincent and Casey Paulo should count as a should count as NBA talent. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, you know, Matisse Thybulle and Patty Mills. That's showed up true. Yeah, yeah. But but whoa, we lost to Nigeria and Precious Achua. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What is happening? Ugh, I I think the other thing I, this is I think underrated as hell. But you have to admit that the world is catching up to the United States when it comes to basketball. 22% upwards of like a fourth of this league is foreigners. is People who do not play or are born in the United States. And it's really starting to show right now why I think there's – this happened historically with the NBA too. Because in 1998 – or 1988, pardon me, the same thing happened right before that Dream Team thing where they kind of undersold – the World Cup, the World Stage, and they lost. This happened in 2004 where they had an underwhelming year and then brought back that Redeem team. This has happened right. time and time again. I feel like we're going to have another team like that really soon. I don't know when, but maybe if not this Olympics, because I think they'll win this one for sure. Maybe the next one, they're going to have that underwhelming bronze finish or whatever. And I think yeah. there's going to be this, this third super team of you know, quality Olympic guys to maybe like, you know, take the realm and you know, show the world who's boss. Yeah, I guess we'll find out, you know. I want to. I want to see like John Moran in the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to see like the, I want to see some some young talent join the Olympics that are still all star caliber players. Yeah, and those Olympics again will take place throughout this summer. So we'll both, I know for sure, be keeping that in mind. Uh, but Aiden, thank you for being on the pod. Definitely want to have you on at some point uh, in the off season. Talk about some of the moves that these different teams going to make, and for sure, your team that will will probably be making some moves by this uh, by this draft, if not the off season. Absolutely. It'll be a great off season. All right. Thanks, King. Thank you.